Volume two, section four of the Life of Charlotte Bronte. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. The Life of Charlotte Bronte by Elizabeth Claycorn Gaskell. Volume two, section four. The reason why Miss Bronte was so anxious to preserve her secret was, I am told, that she had pledged her word to her sisters that it should not be revealed through her. The dilemmas attendant on the publication of the sisters' novels under assumed names were increasing upon them. Many critics insisted on believing that all the fictions published as by three bells were the works of one author, but written at different periods of his development and maturity. No doubt this suspicion affected the reception of the books. Ever since the completion of Anne Bronte's tale of Agnes Grey, she had been laboring at a second, the tenant of Wildfell Hall. It is little known. The subject, the deterioration of a character whose profligacy and ruin took their rise in habits of intemperance so slight as to be only considered good fellowship, was painfully discordant to one who would fain have sheltered herself from all but peaceful and religious ideas. She had, says her sister of that gentle little one, in the course of her life been called on to contemplate near at hand and for a long time the terrible effects of talents misused and faculties abused. Hers was naturally a sensitive, reserved, and dejected nature. What she saw sunk very deeply into her mind. It did her harm. She brooded over it till she believed it to be a duty to reproduce every detail, of course with fictitious characters, incidents, and situations, as a warning to others. She hated her work, but would pursue it. When reasoned with on the subject, she regarded such reasonings as a temptation to self-indulgence, she must be honest she must not varnish soften or conceal this well-meant resolution brought on her misconstruction and some abuse which she bore as it was her custom to bear whatever was unpleasant with mild steady patience she was a very sincere and practical christian but the tinge of religious melancholy communicated a sad shade to her brief blameless life in the June of this year the tenant of Wildfell Hall was sufficiently near its completion to be submitted to the person who had previously published for Alice and Acton Bell. In consequence of his mode of doing business, considerable annoyance was occasioned both to Miss Bronte and to them. The circumstances, as detailed in a letter of hers to a friend in New Zealand, were these. One morning, at the beginning of July, a communication was received at the parsonage from Messrs. Smith and Elder, which disturbed its quiet inmates not a little, as, though the matter brought under their notice was merely referred to as one which affected their literary reputation, they conceived it to have a bearing likewise upon their character. Jane Eyre had had a great run in America, and a publisher there had consequently bid high for early sheets of the next work by Currer Bell these messrs smith and elder had promised to let him have he was therefore greatly astonished and not well pleased to learn that a similar agreement had been entered into with another american house and that the new tale was very shortly to appear it turned out upon inquiry that the mistake had originated in acton and ellis bell's publisher having assured this american house that to the best of his belief jane eyre wuthering heights and the tenant of wildfell hall which he pronounced superior to either of the other two were all written by the same author though messrs smith and elder distinctly stated in their letter that they did not share in such a belief the sisters were impatient till they had shown its utter groundlessness and set themselves perfectly straight 
with rapid decision they resolved that charlotte and anne should start for london that very day in order to prove their separate identity to messrs smith and elder and demand from the credulous publisher his reasons for a belief so directly at variance with an assurance which had several times been given to him having arrived at this determination they made their preparations with resolute promptness there were many household duties to be performed that day but they were all got through the two sisters each packed up a change of dress in a small box which they sent down to keithley by an opportune cart and after early tea they set off to walk thither no doubt in some excitement for independently of the cause of their going to london it was anne's first visit there a great thunderstorm overtook them on their way that summer evening to the station but they had no time to seek shelter they only just caught the train at keithley arrived at leeds and were whirled up by the night train to london about eight o'clock on the saturday morning they arrived at the chapter coffee-house paternoster row a strange place but they did not well know where else to go they refreshed themselves by washing and had some breakfast then they sat still for a few minutes to consider what next should be done when they had been discussing their project in the quiet of haworth parsonage the day before and planning the mode of setting about the business on which they were going to london they had resolved to take a cab if they should find it desirable from their inn to cornhill but that amidst the bustle and queer state of inward excitement in which they found themselves as they sat and considered their position on the saturday morning they quite forgot even the possibility of hiring a conveyance and when they set forth they became so dismayed by the crowded streets and the impeded crossings that they stood still repeatedly in complete despair of making progress and were nearly an hour in walking the half-mile they had to go neither mr smith nor mr williams knew that they were coming they were entirely unknown to the publishers of jane eyre who were not in fact aware whether the bells were men or women but had always written to them as men on reaching mr smith's charlotte put his own letter into his hands the same letter which had excited so much disturbance at haworth parsonage only twenty-four hours before where did you get this said he as if he could not believe that the two young ladies dressed in black of slight figures and diminutive stature looking pleased yet agitated could be the embodied currer and acton bell for whom curiosity had been hunting so eagerly in vain an explanation ensued and mr smith at once began to form plans for their amusement and pleasure during their stay at london he urged them to meet a few literary friends at his house and this was a strong temptation to charlotte as amongst them were one or two of the writers whom she particularly wished to see but her resolution to remain unknown induced her firmly to put it aside the sisters were equally persevering in declining mr smith's invitations to stay at his house they refused to leave their quarters saying they were not prepared for a long stay when they returned back to their inn poor charlotte paid for the excitement of the interview which had wound up the agitation and hurry of the last twenty-four hours by a racking headache and harassing sickness towards evening as she rather expected some of the ladies of mr smith's family to call she prepared herself for the chance by taking a strong dose of sal volatile which roused her a little but still as she says she was in grievous bodily case when their visitors were announced in full evening costume the sisters had not understood that it had been settled that they were to go to the opera and therefore were not ready moreover they had no fine elegant dresses either with them or in the world but miss bronte resolved to raise no objections in the acceptance of kindness so in spite of headache and weariness they made haste to dress themselves in their plain high-made country garments charlotte says in an account which she gives to her friend of this visit to london describing the entrance of her party into the opera-house 
Fine ladies and gentlemen glanced at us as we stood by the box door, which was not yet opened, with a slight graceful superciliousness quite warranted by the circumstances. Still, I felt pleasurably excited in spite of headache, sickness, and conscious clownishness, and I saw Anne was calm and gentle, which she always is. The performance was Rossini's Barber of Seville, very brilliant, though I fancy there are things I should like better. We got home after one o'clock. We had never been in bed the night before, had been in constant excitement for twenty-four hours. You may imagine we were tired. The next day, Sunday, Mr. Williams came early to take us to church, and in the afternoon Mr. Smith and his mother fetched us in a carriage and took us to his house to dine. On Monday we went to the exhibition of the Royal Academy, the National Gallery, dined again at Mr. Smith's, and then went home to tea with Mr. Williams at his house. On Tuesday morning we left London, laden with books Mr. Smith had given us, and got safely home. A more jaded wretch than I looked it would be difficult to conceive. I was thin when I went, but I was meagre indeed when I returned, my face looking grey and very old, with strange deep lines ploughed in it. My eyes stared unnaturally. I was weak and yet restless. In a while, however, these bad effects of excitement went off, and I regained my normal condition. The impression Miss Bronte made upon those with whom she first became acquainted during this visit to London was of a person with clear judgment and fine sense, and though reserved, possessing unconsciously the power of drawing out others in conversation. She never expressed an opinion without assigning a reason for it. She never put a question without a definite purpose. And yet people felt at their ease in talking with her. All conversation with her was genuine and stimulating, and when she launched forth in praise or reparation of books or deeds or works of art, her eloquence was indeed burning. She was thorough in all that she said or did, yet so open and fair in dealing with a subject or contending with an opponent, that instead of rousing resentment she merely convinced her hearers of her earnest zeal for the truth and right. Not the least singular part of their proceedings was the place at which the sisters had chosen to stay. Paternoster Row was for many years sacred to publishers. It is a narrow, flagged street, lying under the shadow of St. Paul's. At each end there are posts placed so as to prevent the passage of carriages, and thus preserve a solemn silence for the deliberations of the fathers of the row. The dull warehouses on each side are mostly occupied at present by wholesale stationers, if they be publishers' shops, they show no attractive front to the dark and narrow street. Halfway up on the left-hand side is the Chapter Coffee House. I visited it last June. It was then unoccupied. It had the appearance of a dwelling house two hundred years old or so, such as one sometimes sees in ancient country towns. The ceilings of the small rooms were low and had heavy beams running across them. The walls were wainscoted breast-high. The staircase was shallow, broad, and dark, taking up much space in the centre of the house. This, then, was the Chapter Coffee House, which, a century ago, was the resort of all the booksellers and publishers, and where the literary hacks, the critics, and even the wits used to go in search of ideas or employment. This was the place about which Chatterton wrote in those delusive letters he sent to his mother at Bristol while he was starving in London. I am quite familiar at the Chapter Coffee House and know all the geniuses there. Here he heard of chances of employment. Here his letters were to be left. Years later it became the tavern frequented by university men and country clergymen who were up in London for a few days, and, having no private friends or access into society, were glad to learn what was going on in the world of letters from the conversation which they were sure to hear in the coffee-room. 
in mr bronte's few and brief visits to town during his residence at cambridge and the period of his curacy in essex he had stayed at this house hither he had brought his daughters when he was convoying them to brussels and here they came now from very ignorance where else to go it was a place solely frequented by men i believe there was but one female servant in the house few people slept there some of the stated meetings of the trade were held in it as they had been for more than a century and occasionally country booksellers with now and then a clergyman resorted to it but it was a strange desolate place for the miss brontes to have gone to from its purely business and masculine aspect the old grey-haired elderly man who officiated as a waiter seems to have been touched from the very first with the quiet simplicity of the two ladies and he tried to make them feel comfortable and at home in the long low dingy room upstairs where the meetings of the trade were held the high narrow windows looked into the gloomy row the sisters clinging together on the most remote window-seat as mr smith tells me he found them when he came that saturday morning to take them to the opera could see nothing of motion or of change in the grim dark houses opposite so near and close although the whole breadth of the row was between the mighty roar of london was round them like the sound of an unseen ocean yet every footfall on the pavement below might be heard distinctly in that unfrequented street such as it was they preferred remaining at the chapter coffee-house to accepting the invitation which mr smith and his mother urged upon them and in after years charlotte says since those days i have seen the west end the parks the fine squares but i love the city far better the city seems so much more in earnest its business its rush its roar are such serious things sights sounds the city is getting its living the west end but enjoying its pleasure at the west end you may be amused but in the city you are deeply excited Valette, volume one page eighty nine their wish had been to hear dr crowley on the sunday morning and mr williams escorted them to st stephen's walbrook but they were disappointed as dr crowley did not preach mr williams also took them as miss bronte has mentioned to drink tea at his house on the way thither they had to pass through kensington gardens and miss bronte was much struck with the beauty of the scene the fresh verdure of the turf and the soft rich masses of foliage from remarks on the different character of the landscape in the south to what it was in the north she was led to speak of the softness and varied intonations of the voices of those with whom she conversed in london which seemed to have made a strong impression on both sisters all this time those who came in contact with the miss browns another pseudonym also beginning with a b seem only to have regarded them as shy and reserved little country women with not much to say mr williams tells me that on the night when he accompanied the party to the opera as charlotte ascended the flight of stairs leading from the grand entrance up to the lobby of the first tier of boxes she was so much struck with the architectural effect of the splendid decorations of that vestibule and saloon that involuntarily she slightly pressed his arm and whispered you know i am not accustomed to this sort of thing indeed it must have formed a vivid contrast to what they were doing and seeing an hour or two earlier the night before when they were trudging along with beating hearts and high-strung courage on the road between haworth and keithley hardly thinking of the thunderstorm that beat above their heads for the thoughts which filled them of how they would go straight away to london and prove that they were really two people and not one impostor it was no wonder that they returned to haworth utterly fagged and worn out after the fatigue and excitement of this visit 
the next notice i find of charlotte's life at this time is of a different character to anything telling of enjoyment july twenty eighth branwell is the same in conduct as ever his constitution seems much shattered papa and sometimes all of us have sad nights with him he sleeps most of the day and consequently will lie awake at night but has not every house its trial while her most intimate friends were yet in ignorance of the fact of her authorship of jane eyre she received a letter from one of them making inquiries about casterton school it is but right to give her answer written on august twenty eighth eighteen forty eight since you wish to hear from me while you are from home i will write without further delay it often happens that when we linger at first in answering a friend's letter obstacles occur to retard us to an inexcusably late period in my last i forgot to answer a question which you asked me and was sorry afterwards for the omission i will begin therefore by replying to it though i fear what information i can give will come a little late you said mrs blank had some thoughts of sending blank to school and wished to know whether the clergy daughter's school at casterton was an eligible place my personal knowledge of that institution is very much out of date being derived from the experience of twenty years ago the establishment was at that time in its infancy and a sad rickety infancy it was typhus fever decimated the school periodically and consumption and scrofula in every variety of form bad air and water bad and insufficient diet can generate preyed on the ill-fated pupils it would not then have been a fit place for any of mrs blank's children but i understand it is very much altered for the better since those days the school is removed from cowan bridge a situation as unhealthy as it was picturesque low damp beautiful with wood and water to casterton the accommodations the diet the discipline the system of tuition all are i believe entirely altered and greatly improved i was told that such pupils as behaved well and remained at the school till their education was finished were provided with situations as governesses if they wished to adopt the vocation and much care was exercised in the selection it was added that they were also furnished with an excellent wardrobe on leaving casterton the oldest family in haworth failed lately and have quitted the neighbourhood where their fathers resided before them for it is said thirteen generations papa i am most thankful to say continues in very good health considering his age his sight too rather i think improves than deteriorates my sisters likewise are pretty well but the dark cloud was hanging over that doomed household and gathering blackness every hour on october the ninth she thus writes the past three weeks have been a dark interval in our humble home branwell's constitution had been failing fast all the summer but still neither the doctors nor himself thought him so near his end as he was he was entirely confined to his bed but for one single day and was in the village two days before his death he died after twenty minutes struggle on sunday morning september twenty fourth he was perfectly conscious till the last agony came on his mind had undergone the peculiar change which frequently precedes death two days previously the calm of better feelings filled it a return of natural affection marked his last moments he is in god's hands now and the all-powerful is likewise the all-merciful a deep conviction that he rests at last rests well after his brief erring suffering feverish life fills and quiets my mind now the final separation the spectacle of his pale corpse gave me more acute bitter pain than i could have imagined 
till the last hour comes we never know how much we can forgive pity regret a near relative all his vices were and are nothing now we remember only his woes papa was acutely distressed at first but on the whole has borne the event well emily and anne are pretty well though anne is always delicate and emily has a cold and cough at present it was my fate to sink at the crisis when i should have collected my strength headache and sickness came on first on the sunday i could not regain my appetite then internal pain attacked me i became at once much reduced it was impossible to touch a morsel at last bilious fever declared itself i was confined to bed a week a dreary week but thank god health seems now returning i can sit up all day and take moderate nourishment the doctor said at first i should be very slow in recovering but i seem to get on faster than he anticipated i am truly much better i have heard from one who attended branwell in his last illness that he resolved on standing up to die he had repeatedly said that as long as there was life there was strength of will to do what it chose and when the last agony came on he insisted on assuming the position just mentioned i have previously stated that when his fatal attack came on his pockets were found filled with old letters from the woman to whom he was attached he died she lives still in mayfair the eumenides i suppose went out of existence at the time when the wail was heard great pan is dead i think we could better have spared him than those awful sisters who sting dead conscience into life i turn from her for ever let us look once more into the parsonage at haworth october twenty ninth eighteen forty eight i think i have now nearly got over the effects of my late illness and am almost restored to my normal condition of health i sometimes wish that it was a little higher but we ought to be content with such blessings as we have and not pine after those that are out of our reach i feel much more uneasy about my sister than myself just now emily's cold and cough are very obstinate i fear she has pain in her chest and i sometimes catch a shortness in her breathing when she has moved at all quickly she looks very thin and pale her reserved nature occasions me great uneasiness of mind it is useless to question her you get no answers it is still more useless to recommend remedies they are never adopted nor can i shut my eyes to anne's great delicacy of constitution the late sad event has i feel made me more apprehensive than common i cannot help feeling much depressed sometimes i try to leave all in god's hands to trust in his goodness but faith and resignation are difficult to practice under some circumstances the weather has been most unfavorable for invalids of late sudden changes of temperature and cold penetrating winds have been frequent here should the atmosphere become more settled perhaps a favorable effect might be produced on the general health and these harassing colds and coughs be removed papa has not quite escaped but he has so far stood it better than any of us you must not mention my going to blank this winter i could not and would not leave home on any account miss blank has been for some years out of health now these things make one feel as well as know that this world is not our abiding-place we should not knit human ties too close or clasp human affections too fondly they must leave us or we must leave them one day god restore health and strength to all who need it i go on now with her own affecting words in the biographical notice of her sisters but a great change approached affliction came in that shape which to anticipate is dread to look back on grief 
in the very heat and burden of the day the laborers failed over their work my sister emily first declined never in all her life had she lingered over any task that lay before her and she did not linger now she sank rapidly she made haste to leave us day by day when i saw with what a front she met suffering i looked on her with an anguish of wonder and love i have seen nothing like it but indeed i have never seen her parallel in anything stronger than a man simpler than a child her nature stood alone the awful point was that while full of ruth for others on herself she had no pity the spirit was inexorable to the flesh from the trembling hands the unnerved limbs the fading eyes the same service was exacted as they had rendered in health to stand by and witness this and not dare to remonstrate was a pain no words can render in fact emily never went out of doors after the sunday succeeding branwell's death she made no complaint she would not endure questioning she rejected sympathy and help many a time did charlotte and anne drop their sewing or cease from their writing to listen with wrung hearts to the failing step the labored breathing the frequent pauses with which their sister climbed the short staircase yet they dared not notice what they observed with pangs of suffering even deeper than hers they dared not notice it in words far less by the caressing assistance of a helping arm or hand they sat still and silent november twenty third eighteen forty eight i told you emily was ill in my last letter she has not rallied yet she is very ill i believe if you were to see her your impression would be that there is no hope a more hollow wasted pallid aspect i have not beheld the deep tight cough continues the breathing after the least exertion is a rapid pant and these symptoms are accompanied by pains in the chest and side her pulse the only time she allowed it to be felt was found to beat a hundred and fifteen per minute in this state she resolutely refuses to see a doctor she will give no explanation of her feelings she will scarcely allow her feelings to be alluded to our position is and has been for some weeks exquisitely painful god only knows how all this is to terminate more than once i have been forced boldly to regard the terrible event of her loss as possible and even probable but nature shrinks from such thoughts i think emily seems the nearest thing to my heart in the world when a doctor had been sent for and was in the very house emily refused to see him her sisters could only describe to him what symptoms they had observed and the medicines which he sent she would not take denying that she was ill december tenth eighteen forty eight i hardly know what to say to you about the subject which now interests me the most keenly of anything in this world for in truth i hardly know what to think myself hope and fear fluctuate daily the pain in her side and chest is better the cough the shortness of breath the extreme emaciation continue i have endured however such tortures of uncertainty on this subject that at length i could endure it no longer and as her repugnance to seeing a medical man continues immutable as she declares no poisoning doctor shall come near her i have written unknown to her to an eminent physician in london giving as minute a statement of her case and symptoms as i could draw up and requesting an opinion i expect an answer in a day or two i am thankful to say that my own health at present is very tolerable it is well such is the case for anne with the best will in the world to be useful is really too delicate to do or bear much she too at present has frequent pains in the side papa is also pretty well though emily's state renders him very anxious 
the blanks and bronte's former pupils were here about a week ago they are attractive and stylish-looking girls they seemed overjoyed to see anne when i went into the room they were clinging round her like two children she meantime looking perfectly quiet and passive i and h took it into their heads to come here i think it probable offence was taken on that occasion from what cause i know not and as if such be the case the grudge must rest upon purely imaginary grounds and since besides i have other things to think about my mind rarely dwells upon the subject if emily were but well i feel as if i should not care who neglected misunderstood or abused me i would rather you were not of the number either the crab cheese arrived safely emily has just reminded me to thank you for it it looks very nice i wish she were well enough to eat it but emily was growing rapidly worse i remember miss bronte's shiver at recalling the pang she felt when after having searched in the little hollows and sheltered crevices of the moors for a lingering spray of heather just one spray however withered to take into emily she saw that the flower was not recognized by the dim and indifferent eyes yet to the last emily adhered tenaciously to her habits of independence she would suffer no one to assist her any effort to do so roused the old stern spirit one tuesday morning in december she arose and dressed herself as usual making many a pause but doing everything for herself and even endeavouring to take up her employment of sewing the servants looked on and knew what the catching rattling breath and the glazing of the eye too surely foretold but she kept at her work and charlotte and anne though full of unspeakable dread had still the faintest spark of hope on that morning charlotte wrote thus probably in the very presence of her dying sister tuesday i should have written to you before if i had had one word of hope to say but i have not she grows daily weaker the physician's opinion was expressed too obscurely to be of use he sent some medicine which she would not take moments so dark as these i have never known i pray for god's support to us all hitherto he has granted it the morning drew on to noon emily was worse she could only whisper in gasps now when it was too late she said to charlotte if you will send for a doctor i will see him now about two o'clock she died december twenty first eighteen forty eight emily suffers no more from pain or weakness now she never will suffer more in this world she is gone after a hard short conflict she died on tuesday the very day i wrote to you i thought it very possible she might be with us still for weeks and a few hours afterwards she was in eternity yes there is no emily in time or on earth now yesterday we put her poor wasted mortal frame quietly under the church pavement we are very calm at present why should we be otherwise the anguish of seeing her suffer is over the spectacle of the pains of death is gone by the funeral day is past we feel she is at peace no need now to tremble for the hard frost and the keen wind emily does not feel them she died in a time of promise we saw her taken from life in its prime but it is god's will and the place where she is gone is better than that she has left god has sustained me in a way that i marvel at through such agony as i had not conceived i now look at anne and wish she were well and strong but she is neither 
nor is papa could you now come to us for a few days i would not ask you to stay long write and tell me if you could come next week and by what train i would try to send a gig for you to keithley you will i trust find us tranquil try to come i never so much needed the consolation of a friend's presence pleasure of course there would be none for you in the visit except what your kind heart would teach you to find in doing good to others as the old bereaved father and his two surviving children followed the coffin to the grave they were joined by keeper emily's fierce faithful bulldog he walked alongside of the mourners and into the church and stayed quietly there all the time that the burial service was being read when he came home he lay down at emily's chamber door and howled pitifully for many days anne bronte drooped and sickened more rapidly from that time and so ended the year eighteen forty eight end of section four